I'm excited about this series for this reason. As I've been doing this study and, and background to this whole message, you know, I wonder why in America, because we have such a high standard of, of, of living, that you would think uh, that we would be much happier than we are. But the reality is we are not happy. Even among Christians, you'd think we would, uh, those that know Christ and what he's done for us, we would be happy. But the reality is we're not. And there are millions and millions and millions and millions of books out there on finding your self-worth, finding yourself, learning to love yourself, learning to hug yourself, learning to find the better you. $11 billion are spent every single year on self-help books. Songs like learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. I've never found anyone who could fulfill my needs, a lonely place to be, so I've learned to depend on me. So is that where we find our worth within ourselves? I would say that's a lonely place to be. And, and that's the problem. From, 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 from the very beginning of life, we, we look to things to satisfy something within us to feel important, to feel needed. And, and, and many are not satisfied with their life, their job, their marriage. I mean, when I was a kid... Somebody won and somebody lost. The winners got the trophies. The losers went home, right? When I, when I was a swimmer, you had people that could first, second, and third. You got a gold, silver, bronze. That was it. Now everybody gets a ribbon. Everybody gets a trophy. We want to make sure that everybody feels special, right? Some of you may like that, but I'm like, well, what is that teaching anybody? There's, sometimes there's winners and sometimes there's losers. Guess what? Get over it! Okay? Get over it! Good, there's some of you with me this morning. Some of you just hate my guts, okay? Listen, it becomes a... Listen, here's the problem. What are we intrinsically doing to our children by doing that? Well, what we're doing is it's this constant need for attention and validation, that, that's what it becomes. And we, we all have this need to feel validated and accepted and wanted. That's, that's okay. But the problem is, are we going about it the wrong way? I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like, why in America do we love football so much? I don't know what it is. I mean, you go to every other country around the world, and it is soccer, which they call football, which makes a lot more sense than why we call football football, and they call football, which we call soccer, they call football, which makes a lot more sense. <laughs> to me, anyways, it just does, right? Doesn't it make more sense? It's clear as mud. Um, and you go around the world, and, and soccer is huge, but in America, it seems like, I, I'm, I'm sorry about you soccer fans out there. I'm, I'm just ticking everybody off right off the bat this morning, Okay. Soccer is just boring. I'm just telling you. Boring. I know some of you love it, and those are fighting words with some of you, but I'm like, boring. Okay, make it more exciting. Like, if it was like, if, if soccer was like, the score is like 20 to 25, I might watch it a little bit longer than two minutes. And then hearing all those noises in the background. Remember the World Cup? You hear these noise. It's like annoying. Why do we love football so much? in America? Why, why do people pack stadiums of 80, 90, 100,000 college football? I, I lived in South Carolina for eight years in high school football. I was like the first Friday night I was there. I think Kathleen, I went to Walmart and I'm like, where is everybody? There's nobody here. There's nobody in this town. He's like, everybody's at the football game. I'm like, what? I mean, everybody... The football stadium holds like 80,000 people for high school. You're driving down Main Street in Somerville, South Carolina, and there's a Hardee's, which is a fast food chain in the South. There's a picture of the high school coach on the Hardee's billboard. <laughs> coach McKissick eats at Hardee's. I'm like, where are we? What? Where are we? It was just God down there. I mean, football was huge, huge, huge down there, and everybody would go. So I'm like, why do we love football 
so much. I, I, I think, and there's nothing wrong with liking and having a college team and, and who your favorite is. I think what it is is, you know, we, we like to wear the jersey of our favorite team or a, a hoodie with our favorite team on it. And we like people to know who we, who we like. And I think it comes down to we identify with it. We want to we feel part of the win. When, when our team wins, we feel good. Pastor Mike, when the Miami Dolphins wins, he always wears his jersey on Wednesday night. I'm trying to get that jersey to burn it, by the way. But anyways, um, <laughs> why he likes Miami, I have no idea, but got to love him. Uh, we like to identify, right? We like to identify with the winner. My team won, and, and, and somehow we feel like we're the, we're, we're, we're the 12th team member, like we had a part of that win. Let me just say this. You had no part of the win, Okay. <laughs> Just because you're on your couch cheering and you went and you had your pom-poms and you you had no part of the win. The team, the people on the field won the game, okay, the coach and everything else that goes into it. But look, we want to identify with that. You see, that's why I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, because it keeps me humble. See, it just keeps me humble, right? You know, it just so, you know, I just go with losers because it just keeps me out. I have really, have never... Every team I've liked has always lost in the Super Bowl. There's one only team I've ever liked is Syracuse Orangemen, the basketball team, and they actually won a national championship. That's it. That's every Bills four times, bump kiss. Uh, you go to the Sabres, lost. You, you, anybody you go with, I liked the New England Patriots way back when I was in, in college, and they finally go and they get beat like 65 to 2. I'm like, I, I'm giving up on sports because every team I think like I like, they always lose. And so it's something that we identify with, right? We, we like to be part of a, of, a, of a winning thing, a winning team. I, I'm wondering if that's part of the reason why it's just so popular. You want to be part of the winning college or what college we identify with our local area and our local team, and it becomes this very important thing to people. Now, that's okay if it becomes an idol, and that's what we revolve our lives around. We need to, you know, I mean, it's just funny. People, they just into it. I mean, it's just crazy how much it's into it. And I'm like, get a life, okay? I mean, let's move on with things. But here's the problem. The lie we believe is, is, is very simple. It's, it's, it's basically this. Our want to be accepted can become a never-ending pit that can never be satisfied. And w- what begins to happen is that praise from other people is never enough. It's this desperate plea for acceptance. In order to find our true worth, we, we need to really look at what the problem is. Why is there a problem for this constant need for attention and to be validated and to be accepted and to be feeling like we're, we're part of a group and people like us and, and people accept us? What, what, is, what is the problem? In order to find our true worth, we really need to look at what the problem is. And, and is, is it just simply learning to accept myself and learning to love myself, which much of the pop psychology is telling us today, the reason why that really doesn't work is, is, is for the reason is it's just a, a futile attempt that will never really get to the real issue. And so what I want to do is today, I, I, the, these first two weeks, I just want to lay a foundation before we, we jump into the water of, of, of all these different significant identity problems that, that we struggle with. And I want to lay a foundation today of what, what's the core of our identity problem? What's the... What's the root? Because unless we get to the root, you know, if you're out in your yard and you pull the root up from, from the top, you, you haven't pulled it out from the root itself, that, that weed's going to grow right back up again, right? It's like you mow your yard and, and you mow it right away and you mow over all the weeds and you're like, wow, my yard looks really good. And then two days later, all those weeds pop up and you really never took care of the, the weed problem. And I think the problem is for us in America is we're not really dealing with the root issue of our identity problem. And we have to get to the root issue if we're going to really understand how to deal with all these other problems in our lives. So the answer to our identity problem, as we know for followers of Christ, is found in the Word of God. So we, we've, we've got to look into the Word of God and, and understand where is the root, where's the problem here. And so in order to do that, in order to find out where our, our identity crisis start with, we must start at the beginning. We've got to start at the beginning. In the first two chapters of Genesis we see God's creation of man and woman and for, the, for this intended purpose to worship and honor God. 
So we see God, the creation of man and woman, and their, the reason for their creation was that, that they would worship God and, and honor his name and, and be in perfect fellowship with the Lord. So let's look at this relationship with God before the fall of man, before sin entered the world. And let's look at a couple passages here. Genesis 2, 15, and then we're going to look at verses 20 through 24 in chapter 2. That's what it says here. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And here's the authority that God gave man. He says, The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man, and the man said, Woo! Okay. The man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father, should, shall leave his father and has... And, what in the world? And his, okay, the, and leave his father and mother and they should be united. That was wrong there, okay? So well, what's going on here? What, what, what's, the, what's going on here? God, in the garden, created this perfect fellowship between man, woman, and God. There was a relationship that God established with them. And putting them in the garden, God said, you're able to do this, but you're not able to do this. And as we know that they were naked and they were unashamed in this perfect relationship. They could identify with each other, that I, they could identify with God, and they lived in this perfect relationship. They were very unique to the rest of creation because they were created in the image of God. They, they would have the authority to rule over the rest of creation. They had the ability to have a relationship with God. And they were there, they were created to literally reflect the glory of God. Now, not to reflect their own glory, but literally reflect the glory of God. And so Adam and Eve were in true fellowship with God and they were lacking nothing. They were in true fellowship, perfect relationship with God, lacking nothing. God gave them everything. God gave them the, the, the right type of, of married relationship. God gave them everything they needed in the garden. God allowed them to, to have authority over the other things that were created. And so there's, there was this perfect environment so God placed them in this perfect environment. Every need was taken care of physically, emotionally, spiritually. They were fulfilled. There were, their relationship with God was marked by freedom and security. And so they were to demonstrate God's holiness on earth. So here God creates man and woman. They, they're in perfect fellowship. They were to, to, to just reflect God's glory. They were to rule over the animals. They were unique in comparison to every, anything else that was created on the earth at that time. And there was perfect fellowship. Now, what went wrong? Well, something went terribly wrong. We need to look at what happens after the fall. And that's what I want to look at because after the fall, things went terribly horrific in their relationship with God. Genesis 3, 6, and 7 tells us what happened. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate. And, and then the eyes of both of them were opened. And, and listen to what the scriptures say here because this is very important. And they knew they were naked and so they did what? They sewed these fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. So basically, they were ashamed now. Sin came in, and they were ashamed. They were in perfect fellowship. They were innocent before the Lord, before each other. And so what man chose to do was he chose to rebel against God's word and chose to do things in direct contradiction to the plan of God. 
And because of Adam and Eve's sin, their relationship with God now at this point changed from one of innocence to one of guilt and shame. And so what they did, the first thing they did was when they, when they realized that their eyes were open to sin and their rebellion, they realized they were naked and they tried to cover. And basically the nakedness was not just simply covering their, their physical bodies, but in reality what they were trying to do was to cover their spiritual nakedness. That's what they were really doing. They, they, they hid. Notice what happens. They hid from the Lord. Because they were ashamed and guilty because this relationship was broken. They knew what the stipulations were of this relationship. And because of that, they hid because of their shame and their guilt. And in a futile attempt to try to sew fig leaves together, they thought that that would cover their nakedness. Listen to me real close, people. We live in a world that people are trying to cover their shame, their guilt with fig leaves. Which can never cover your guilt and your shame. And so what people do in the world today to try to cover their guilt and their shame, they'll say, well, I'll be a good person. I'll try to be more religious. They go about it the wrong way. They go about it by trying to do good works, by trying to be good within themselves. I'll try to be a better husband. I'll try to be a better mother. I'll, I'll try to do better at work. I, I'll do more than that. We're going to jump deep into this topic of performance. And what people try to do to overcome their identity crisis is I'll perform better. And people will do it differently. Some people become workaholics. Some people become religious-aholics. Where they say, well, religion will, will take care of all this stuff. Because, but, but meanwhile, they're not getting to the root of the issue of why is there shame and why is there guilt. So what they're doing is by their own works and by their own futile attempts, they're covering themselves with this temporary fig leaf that's not getting to the root of the problem. That's why we are in a serious identity crisis in our world today. Because what we look at is we look at the external things. How does one look? How does one dress? How successful are you? And so we look at all these external things, but we never really look at the heart and really what's going on behind all this external stuff. And meanwhile, people live these desperate lives because they're hurting. And so they'll turn to all kinds of things to try to cover that pain and that hurt and that shame that's in their lives. And so man chose to rebel against God, which, which, which broke this fellowship with God himself. And so what began to happen is, what we see is in the way they hid in the garden from God, they, they were literally just ashamed of their nakedness. And, and so because of that, they had to cover themselves. So what is the result? Because this all falls into our identity crisis and, and the things we struggle with today. What was the result? The result was that the image of God was marred within them and then was passed down to all generations that followed. So the sin of Adam is now passed down. One man brought transgressions into the world like the word of God says, one man in Jesus Christ can take them away. So we are all born in sin. We are all marred by sin. And that's the, the, the whole Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation speaks of God's redemptive plan to bring man back to him. And that plan is all encompassing in the person of Jesus Christ. So if we don't come to Jesus, we will never solve our identity problem because we will still be in sin. So the, the, the image of God was marred within them, was passed down to all of us, the descendants that followed. And so Here's, here's the reality. We all bear the scar of that original skin, or sin, skin. <laughs> that original sin. Mentally, morally, socially, physically, we are not immune to the effects of sin in our lives. So this touches every area, mentally, morally, socially, physically. So what happens here is this. Sin causes man to struggle with despair, arrogance, pride. And here's where it touches everybody. 
and valuing the opinion of others rather than the truth of God. So we will settle for shortcuts to try to deal with that original sin in our hearts. So sin causes man to struggle with this despair and arrogance and pride and valuing the opinions of others rather than the truth of God. So we base our value. Here's what it comes down to our self-worth and our value. What, what really makes me feel valuable about myself? Is it, is it my looks? Is it the way I dress? Is it my job? Is it whether I get an A? Is it uh, how well I do at sports or my hobbies or how smart I am? See, we base our value in what others think of us, thus trying to gain the approval of others. And I'll tell you what, it's miserable when we have to live our lives like that. When we're constantly trying to gain the approval of others and not God, you will constantly be living your life in this defeated mode because it can never be enough. And I know some of you, that's the way you were raised. You were raised with maybe parents that wanted the best and they pushed you and they pushed you and they pushed you and, and they pushed you in your life. Man, I just, I just, and so it's this constant need of approval. Or some of you, you never were approved of. Maybe you had parents that never approved of anything you did. So you just said, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to live a rebellious life. And some of you, you're products of, of that rebellious living in your past because you said, you know what? I, I can't live up to that. So I'm just going to go this way and I'm just going to live my life for the way I want to live my life. And so what happens is the, the object of our worth, catch this, this is, this is foundational for the rest of the series here. What happens is the object of our worth sadly becomes us. So what we do is we focus on me. How do I make myself feel better? What are the things I need to do to give worth to myself? Robert McGee wrote just a great quote here, wrote a great book on, on, on finding significance, and I like what he says here, and I appreciate his thoughts in the book. He says this, Living without God's divine truth, humanity sinks lower and lower in depravity, blindly following a philosophy that intends to heighten the dignity of man but instead lowers him to the level of animals. Ouch. That's a good statement. And it's a very true statement. See, instead of looking to God to find our worth and to understand why we're in the mess we're in today, we turn to others, which then leads to despair. So am I, you know, am I what others say I am? I find my value and worth in what others say about me. Praise from others becomes our drug of choice. Right? How many of you are like me in, this, in, in, in battle with this? You'll, you'll hear 100 compliments or encouraging words, and one person will say something negative, And that will stick in your craw and, and basically wipe away all the positive comments or all the positive encouraging things that people say. Anybody like me? Right? You hear that one thing, and that thing gets in your craw, that one negative thing, and then you start beating yourself up. I'm no good. I don't, I don't want to live anymore. You know, we just get so down on ourselves because we hear that one thing. Why? Because it's this, it's this praise from others that becomes the drug of choice. So overcoming our identity problem will not simply be fixed by simply feeling better about ourselves. Okay, we, we, we need to have an accurate perception of ourselves that is biblical. We need to understand who we truly are first in order to find out who we can be in Christ. And, and let me just say this because it, it's, listen, I don't want you walking away thinking, well, it's not good to excel at school or try to do your best at your job. And, and, but if you do it for the glory of God, that's wonderful. You know, but if I'm trying to do those things to find my worth in those things, 
then it becomes a never-ending pit that can never be filled in my life. Are you getting that? If, if, if I do something and then, and then no one says anything about the job that I did, you've got to begin to ask yourself, okay, why am I doing that? Am I, am I doing that because I'm looking for the accolades of others? Or am I doing that simply because I want to please the Lord in my life? Because if someone doesn't compliment you or send you a thank you note and that gets into your craw, like, man, I did this thing for this person and I just did not get any thank you note. <laughs> Nothing on Facebook. I mean, come on, on Facebook, they could spend two minutes and just say, hey, thanks for that. Come on. And, and we get irritated about that. Don't, th that's the problem. That need for approval from other people. We're going we're gonna to dive into every single one of these topics. So, so listen, in order to find our worth, we need to overcome the desire to do it ourselves. So the answer, sadly to say, is not within us. The answer is not becoming a better person. The answer is not being the best. The answer has to come from God. And only through the truth of God's word can we be free, free from our constant need to be approved, uh, our, our constant need to, to perform. Um, some of you, you're going to have the ability now to actually say no. Right? Because many times we, we, we say yes to everybody because, because there's this intrinsic need to feel wanted and need. So I don't want to say no to anybody else. So I'll say yes to everybody and just completely burn myself out, right? Because it's an approval need. It's an identity need. To, to try to get, gain people's approval. And we don't want to let anybody down. I don't want to let this person down. And so we try to be everything to everyone, and you can't be. And it's a problem with our identity. We'll, we'll, look, at, we'll look at this uh, overcoming a performance trap, overcoming the approval trap, overcoming the guilt and shame trap. And so here's the bottom line, and I really want to spend time, and I, I knew this message would be shorter. Thank you, Jesus. All you can thank me for that. It's my little gift for you today. But here's the thing. I, th I want to spend time as we go into communion today because I believe this is going to be foundational for the rest of the series of, of messages. This is where it starts. It, it, it starts by coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. We've, we've got to understand, people, why the bread and, and the cup is so powerful in our lives. We've got to start here, and we have to understand, Jesus, why did you come to the cross? Jesus, why did you give your life for us? Jesus, why did you have to come? Jesus had to come because we needed a Savior. And some of you here today, you're, you're still struggling with your past. You're still struggling with the guilt of your past. You're still struggling with your identity and, and who you are. And, and you look in the mirror and you just don't like yourself. You're just like, man, I'm just, I can never measure up. And then it's funny, what we can do in Christianity many times is, is how many of you ever just, you come into Christianity and you, you know you're supposed to read your Bible. You, you know you're supposed to pray. You know, you know you're, you're supposed to do these things. But if, if somebody tells you to do one more thing, you just want to scream. If there's just one more thing that's got to be added on to my life and, and maybe you read a book and you hear about someone that prays 14 hours a day and you're like, man, I'm miserable. I don't even, I didn't pray five minutes today. This person's praying 14 hours a day. Well, who am I? I don't even think I'm saved compared to this person. And if there's one more thing that's added on to your life or added on to your Christianity, you just want to scream and give up. And many just do. The problem is this. We're trying to find it through works. You can't do that. You've got to come to Christ and say, God, by your grace, I need you to forgive me. Listen, God wants you to be in his word. God wants you to pray. Of course he wants all those things. But for what reason? To try to gain God's approval by saying, oh, good, Lord, I, I gained your approval here by going to church and by reading all this stuff. No, God's love for us doesn't change. He loved us in spite of, of us. He loved you when you were still sinners. So he gave his life for you while you were in rebellion to God. So you've got to write grace over your life and say, God, I've got to start living by your grace. So as we come to the table of, 
of Christ today, as we take communion as a family today, I want us as a, as a congregation to start anew and afresh with the Lord. There may be some of you here today and you're just trying to overcome the pain and the guilt of your past. There's some of you here today, you just don't feel good about yourself. You feel like I always make so many mistakes. If people really knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. You need to come to the, you need to come to the foot of the cross today and say, God, I give you all my shortcomings. I give you all my guilt. I give you my past. I give you all my hurt. Lord, I've got to forgive others that have hurt me and have said things to me. Some of you have been just holding on to bitterness in your heart for so long and unforgiveness. And it was interesting. I've shared this with you before, but it was interesting. And even in my own life, the Lord just brought something up in my own heart. When I was in first grade, my math teacher called me stupid in front of the whole class. And, and I held, it was, I didn't think about it for a while, but one time I thought about it, I just, there was like this hate that was buried in my heart for this math teacher. And I was, my mom went in there and beat him up, and it was just really a scene, and it was really bad. And, you know, but there was this bitterness in here that I had to forgive my math teacher that I never did. It was like the Lord brought up, Barton, you've never forgiven him. You still hold on to bitterness, hatred for that person. And, and it was like this, because it was, and then I kind of would, and because he called me stupid in front of all the other students because I, I was having trouble catching subtractions. And by the way, I still do. Anyways, um, can't believe I got through high school uh, and college. Um, and so I held on to that as an identity problem in my life that I was just stupid in math. So what I would do is I would just shut up. I would never talk in class. I was like the student that's just like, don't call on me. Don't ask me a question because I don't want to look stupid. And it all started from first grade. It wasn't from my parents. It was from this, this idiotic teacher. No, this teacher that just needed a wake-up call from Jesus. That's all. Um, but there was that hurt and that bitterness for the rest of my And some of you, you you're, you're attaching your identity to something from your past. And Jesus says, listen, I want to set you free from all that stuff. And, and you've got to, even though you didn't, maybe didn't deserve what has happened to you, You've got to break that chain that's been holding you to your past. When you are in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us, you are a brand new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things become new. Your identity is not in what you look like, who you hang out with, whether you're a Buffalo Bills fan or not. Your identity is not in those things. It's in what Christ has done for you. And if you're struggling today with pride or arrogance or any of these things, that's the old man. That, that's the identity crisis that we're battling with. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free from that sin in your life and to allow you to experience my love in a totally different way that I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that nothing can separate you from my love. That's what Christ desires from you today, that you would just come before him and say, God, thank you for what you provided for me through Christ Jesus, that through the cross of Jesus Christ, he took on all the wrath of God. He took on all our sin and died the death that you and I should have died. It's a substitutionary death of Christ. He was our substitute. He paid the penalty that none of, you, none of us could ever have paid. All by God's grace. So when you are now in Christ Jesus, you are that new creation. Your worth now doesn't come from whether or not a teacher in first grade called you stupid or somebody called you ugly or said you were no good at sports or you were always the last person to get picked for kickball. You know, I, it's all there. I, come on. I know. It's all there. And we battle with that the rest of our lives, but it, it surfaces in different ways. Because we all want to feel needed and accepted. And Jesus says, come to me. All you are weary, heavy laden, all that burden that's on your life, come to me. I will give you rest for your souls. All the things you've been trying to do yourself, I will give you rest for your souls. Come to me. 
my arms open wide. I've already accepted you. You just got to lay that stuff down at my feet. I've already accepted you. There's nothing you can do to allow the Lord. He already did it for us on the cross. It's done. He just says, now you just have to come. Come to me. Come to me. Come. Take that step of faith and say, okay, God, I'm going to lay that down. I'm going to lay my bitterness, my shame. I'm going to lay that down. And in return, God gives us his peace, his grace, freedom that we can never find in some book except the book because Jesus is perfect. Amen. So I'm going to pray for you as we go to the Lord's table today. Let me just say this. Communion is open. You don't have to be a member of our church. It's open to all who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior and you're part of the family of God and we're going to pray in just a minute. If you've never prayed a prayer to ask Christ to, to just save you and to forgive you of your sins, you can do that. It says, all who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'll pray that. By all means, feel free to take communion today. And we want to pray. We're just going to just allow God to minister our hearts as the, as the worship team leads us in worship. So, so let's just pray. And uh, we're just going to show you a short video just to get your hearts prepared for communion and what it means. So let's pray. Lord, we just prepare our hearts now. And God, we ask that you would just touch us, God. Lord, I know we all have tried to find our worth in things that just fall short. And so, Lord, we need you today. We need your love today. We need your forgiveness today. Lord, we lay all that stuff in our past that has hindered us from truly knowing you and finding our worth in you. And all those things are just counterfeits. Forgive us, Lord. We, God, we know the game that we're playing. We know what we tried to, we tr- the image that we tried to portray to people to try to get them to like us more. God, we know how short that is. We, we know we want to tell people things so that they're interested in us. And, and, and meanwhile, it's just a futile attempt to try to find our worth so people think that we're important. But then when we go home at night, we're laying in bed and we're thinking about it, we know who we really are. And it doesn't feel so good. Jesus, take all that stuff. We lay it at your feet. We want to be real with you. We want to be authentic. Thank you, Jesus, for being real with us and authentic with us and doing everything that we couldn't do on our own. So, Lord, forgive us today. Cleanse us today that we might be found worthy in you. Not in man's eyes, but in your eyes. So cleanse us today. And as we take communion day, we remember that it's only through Jesus' body and through his blood that we can find this forgiveness and have a right relationship with God the Father and overcome this original sin. It can only happen through our faith in Christ Jesus. So by taking these these emblems today, we're recognizing that it's only through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can find freedom, that we can find forgiveness, that we can find newness of life, that we can find eternal life. It's only through Christ. So we recognize, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through you. So just touch our hearts, God, as we take communion together. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Just watch this short video. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. They will serve you, and then we'll take communion together after our time of worship. God bless you.
Jesus, <clears throat> that last supper, he took these and he said, this is my body which is given for you and this cup symbolizes my blood that will be shed for you, this new covenant that I'm going to make that he establishes himself with us through the blood, through his very own life Jesus gave for you and I that he would establish a relationship. He just didn't talk about it. He completed it through his, through his sacrifice and through his death. Jesus willingly obeyed the voice of the Father to give his life for you and I. Jesus didn't worry about his identity to the world. He came to do the will of the Father to please him who sent him for you and I. He didn't need the accolades of the religious. He didn't need the approval. He came to seek and save that which was lost. 
He didn't care what people thought about who he associated with, for he hung out with the sinners and the prostitutes to bring life to, to them. Jesus didn't care what, what man had to say about him. Jesus didn't need the approval of man to make his ministry validated. He needed the approval of God. And so as you sit here today, realize that through Christ Jesus, he puts his hand on you and he approves of you. He puts his hand on you and he says, you are worthy because of what I've already done for you. Don't try to find your worth in things that fall short. Find your worth in me and I will set you free. That's what makes communion so powerful is because we recognize what Christ has done for us. And he loves you so dearly that God says even in his patience, he wishes that none would perish but all come to repentance. God is patient with us. He's gracious to us. He's merciful to us. What a, what a wonderful Savior we serve. We, we deserve death and destruction to be alienated with God, yet God sent his very son for you and I. And so may we find our worth in him today. So Lord, as we sit here today, Lord, we, we look at the bread as we're, as we're holding in our hand. We realize that Jesus, you are the bread of life. Jesus, you are the manna, that miracle bread that was in the wilderness that sustained the very life of the Israelites. Jesus, by your very life, by your very body, you gave it for us to be crushed, to be bruised. You gave it for us. Thank you for giving your life for us. So Lord, we, we recognize that only in you can we find life today. So as we partake in this bread, Lord, we understand that it symbolizes your body that was given for us, and only through you can we find life. So we thank you for your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for this cup. It symbolizes your blood that was shed for us. We understand that the word of God says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. So we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. We thank you that you rose from the grave three days later, that death could no longer hold you down, that you indeed are the son of God, that you are God, that you're, you and you alone can bring life and eternal life by our faith in you. So we thank you for what this cup symbolizes, cleanse us from our transgressions and our sins, Lord. We thank you that your blood makes us whiter than snow. We love you today. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. In your precious name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand this morning, just um, as we close the service today. Just grab the hand of the person next to you, and you know I, I don't know what um, you're going through today, what you're struggling with today, but God does. And so, Lord, as we leave this place today, we pray for the person on the right and on the left of us, Lord. God, I pray you'd bind our church together, that we are not alone, that we all struggle, that in one way or another we are all dysfunctional, God. We all have a past. And Lord, we have a past that many of us are not, are, are not happy with or proud of, God. But we thank you that your blood covers it all. And so, Lord, I pray for this family, the family at Living Word, God, that you and you alone would bind us together through your precious blood, that through this fellowship we could find healing from one another, that we would be restored to one another, that we would allow forgiveness to flow, that we would have the fellowship that you desire, God. So cleanse us today, and I thank you for this church, God. This is the body that you died for, Jesus, that you love for, that you care for. 
may we just show that same compassion and love and patience to one another as we help each other through our hurts and our pain and our identity crisis. May we encourage each other to keep striving forth towards you, Jesus. So God, may that be the emblem of our church, that God, we love each other the way you desire us to love each other. So I thank you for this body. May we go in your grace now, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. Listen, you're free to go. If any of you need prayer, our prayer partners will be up front. God bless you. Have a great day. all around but in the distance I could see a flame There's so much fun living in your world Save you what you did